0: Chapter 9, Part 7 of The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry Eads. The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1, by Charles Johnson. Chapter 9, Part 7. Their stay at Prince's was from July twenty eighth to September twenty, seventeen twenty one where, by a fatality common to the irregularities of seamen, who cannot in such cases be kept under due restraints, they buried one hundred men in three weeks' time, and reduced the remainder of the ship's companies into so sickly a state that it was with difficulty they brought them to sail. And this misfortune was probably the ruin of Roberts, for it prevented the men of wars going back to Sierra Leone, as it was intended there being a necessity of leaving his majesty's ship weymouth in much the worst condition of the two under the guns of cape corso to impress men being unable at this time either to hand the sails or weigh her anchor and roberts being ignorant of occasion or alteration of the first design fell into the mouth of danger when he thought himself the farthest from it for the men of war not endeavouring to attain further to windward when they came from princes than to secure Cape Corso Road under their lee, they luckily hovered in the track he had took. The Swallow and Weymouth fell in with the continent of Cape Apollonia, October 20th, and there received the ungrateful news from one Captain Bird, a notice that awakened and put them on their guard, but they were far from expecting any temerity should ever bring him a second time on the coast while they were there. Therefore, the swallow, having seen the Weymouth into Cape Corso Road, November 10th, she plied to windward as far as Basom, rather as an airing to recover a sickly ship's company, and show herself to the trade, which was found everywhere undisturbed, and were, for that reason, returning to her consort, when accidentally meeting a Portuguese ship, she told her that the day before she saw two ships chase into junk, an English vessel which she believed must have fallen into their hands. On this story the swallow clung her wind, and endeavoured to gain that place, but receiving soon after, October the 14th, a contrary report from Captain Plummer, an intelligent man in the Jason of Bristol, who had come farther to windward, and neither saw or heard anything of this. She turned her head down the second time, anchored at Cape Apollonia the 23rd, at Cape Tre Puntas the 27th, and in Corso Road, January seventh, 1721 or 2. They learned that their consort, the Weymouth, was, by the assistance of some soldiers from the castle, gone to Windward, to demand restitution of some goods or men belonging to the African company that were illegally detained by the Dutch at De Minis. And while they were regretting so long a separation, an express came to Captain Phipps, from Axum, the ninth and followed by another from dick's cove an english factory with information that three ships had chased and taken a galley nigh Axham castle and a trading-boat belonging to the company no doubt was made concerning what they were it being taken for granted they were pirates and supposed to be the same that had the august before infested the coast the natural result therefore from these two advices was to hasten the waida, for it was concluded the prizes they had taken had informed them how nigh the swallow was, and withal how much better in health than she had been for some months past, so that unless they were very mad indeed, they would, after being discovered, make the best of their way for waida, and secure the booty there, without which their time and industry had been entirely lost, most of the gold lying in that corner. The swallow weighed from Cape Corso, January the 10th, but was retarded by waiting some hours on the Margaret, a company ship, at Accra, again on the Portugal, and a whole day at Apong on a person they used to style Miss Betty, a conduct that Mr. Phipps blamed, when he heard the pirates were missed at Waida, Although he had given it as his opinion, they could not be passed by, and intimated that to stay a few hours would prove no prejudice this however hindered the swallows catching them at waida for the pirates came into that road with a fresh gale of wind the same day the swallow was at Apong, and sailed the thirteenth of january from thence that she arrived the seventeenth she gained notice of them by a french shallop from grandpapa the fourteenth at night and from little papa next morning by a dutch ship so that the man of wars was on all sides as she thought sure of her purchase particularly when she made the ships and discovered three of them to get under sail immediately at sight of her making signals to one another as though they designed a defence but they were found to be three french ships and those at anchor portuguese and english all honest traders who had been ransacked and ransomed this disappointment chagrined the ship's company who were very intent upon their market which was reported to be an arm full of gold, and kept with three keys, though in all likelihood, had they met with them in that open road, one or both would have made their escapes, or, if they had thought sit to have fought, an emulation in their defense would probably have made it desperate. While they were contemplating on the matter, a letter was received from Mr. Baldwin, governor here for the company, signifying that the pirates were at Jaquin, seven leagues lower. The swallow weighed at two next morning, January the 16th, and got to Jaquin by daylight, but to no other end than frightening the crews of two Portuguese ships on shore, who took her for the pirate that had struck such terror at Waida. She returned, therefore, that night, and having been strengthened by thirty volunteers, English and French, the discarded crews of the Porcupine and the French ship they had carried from hence, she put to sea again, January the 19th conjecturing that either Calabar, Princes, the River Gabon, Cape Lopez, or Anabona must be touched at for water and refreshment, though they should resolve to leave the coast. As to the former of those places I have before observed, it was hazardous to think of, or rather impracticable. Princes had been a sour grape to them, but being the first in the way, she came before the harbour the twenty ninth, where learning no news, without losing time, steered for the River Gabon, and anchored at the mouth of it february the first this river is navigable by two channels and has an island about five leagues up called Popagues or parrots where the dutch cruisers for this coast generally clean and where sometimes pirates come in to look for prey or to refit it being very convenient by reason of a soft mud about it that admits a ship's line on shore with all her guns and stores in without damage Hither Captain Ogle sent his boat and a lieutenant, who spoke with a Dutch ship, above the island, and from whom he had this account, viz., that he had been four days from Cape Lopez, and had left no ship there. However, they beat up for the cape, without regard to this story, and on the fifth, at dawning, was surprised with the noise of a gun, which, as the day brightened, they found was from Cape Lopez Bay, where they discovered three ships at anchor, the largest with the king's colors and pendant flying, which was soon concluded to be mr roberts and his consorts but the swallow being to windward and unexpectedly deep in the bay was obliged to steer off for avoiding a sand called the frenchman's bank which the pirates observed for some time and rashly interpreting it to be fear in her righted the french ranger which was then on the heel and ordered her to chase out in all haste bending several of their sails in the pursuit The man of war, finding they had foolishly mistaken her design, humoured the deceit, and kept off to sea, as if she had been really afraid, and managed her steerage so, under the direction of Lieutenant Sun, an experienced officer, as to let the ranger come up with her, when they thought they had got so far as not to have their guns heard by her consort at the cape. The pirates had such an opinion of their own courage, that they could never dream anybody would use a stratagem to speak with them, and so was the more easily drawn into the snare. The pirates now drew nigh enough to fire their chase-guns. They hoisted the black flag that was worn in wider road, and got their spritz-sail yard along ships with intent to board, no one having ever asked all this while what country ship they took the chase to be. They would have her to be a Portuguese, sugar being then a commodity among them, and were swearing every minute at the wind or sails to expedite so sweet a chase. But, alas, all turned sour in an instant. It was with the utmost consternation they saw her suddenly bring to and haul up her lower ports, now within pistol-shot, and struck their black flag upon it directly. After the first surprise was over, they kept firing at a distance, hoisted it again, and vapored with their cutlashes on the poop, though wisely endeavouring at the same time to get away. Being now at their wit's end, boarding was proposed by the heads of them and so to make one desperate push. But the motion not being well seconded, and their main-top mass coming down by a shot, after two hours firing, it was declined. They grew sick, struck their colours, and called out for quarters, having had ten men killed outright, and twenty wounded, without the loss or hurt of one of the King's men. She had thirty-two guns, manned with sixteen Frenchmen, twenty negroes, and seventy-seven English. The colours were thrown overboard, that they might not rise in judgment, nor be displayed in triumph over them. While the swallow was sending their boat to fetch the prisoners, a blast and smoke was seen to pour out of the great cabin, and they thought they were blowing up, but upon inquiry afterwards, found that half a dozen of the most desperate, when they saw all hopes fled, had drawn themselves round what powder they had left in the steerage, and fired a pistol into it but it was too small a quantity to effect anything more than burning them in a frightful manner this ship was commanded by one scrim a welchman who though he had lost his leg in the action would not suffer himself to be dressed or carried off the deck but like widrington fought upon his stump the rest appeared gay and brisk most of them with white shirts watches and a deal of silk vests but the gold dust belonging to them was most of it left in the little ranger in the bay THIS COMPANY'S PROPER SHIP, WITH THE ROYAL FORTUNE. I CANNOT TAKE NOTICE OF TWO AMONG THE CROWD, OF THOSE DISFIGURED WITH THE BLAST OF POWDER JUST BEFORE MENTIONED, VIZ. WILLIAM MAIN AND ROGER BALL. AN OFFICER OF THE SHIP, seeing A SILVER CALL HUNG AT THE WEST OF THE FORMER, SAID TO HIM, I PRESUME YOU ARE bosun OF THIS SHIP. THEN YOU PRESUME WRONG, ANSWERED HE, FOR I AM bosun OF THE ROYAL FORTUNE, CAPTAIN ROBERTS' COMMANDER. "'Then, Mr. Bozen, you will be hanged, I believe,' replies the officer. "'That is as your honour pleases,' answered he again, and was for turning away. But the officer desired to know of him how the powder which had made them in that condition came to take fire. "'By God,' says he, "'they are all mad and bewitched, for I have lost a good hat by it,' the hat and he being both blown out of the cabin gallery into the sea. "'But what signifies a hat, friend?' says the officer. "'Not much,' answered he, the men being busy in stripping him of his shoes and stockings. The officer then inquired of him whether Roberts's company were as likely fellows as these. "'There are one hundred twenty of them,' answered he, "'as clever fellows as ever trod shoe-leather. Would I were with them?' "'No doubt on it,' says the officer.' "'By God, it is the naked truth,' answered he, looking down and seeing himself by this time quite stripped. The officer then approached Roger Ball, who was seated in a private corner, with a look as sullen as winter, and asked him how he came blown up in that frightful manner. "'Why,' says he, "'John Morris fired a pistol into the powder, and if he had not done it, I would,' bearing his pain without the least complaint. The officer gave him to understand he was surgeon.' and if he desired it, he would dress him. But he swore it should not be done, and that if anything was applied to him, he would tear it off. Nevertheless, the surgeon had good nature enough to dress him, though with much trouble. At night he was in a kind of delirium, and raved on the bravery of Roberts, saying, he should shortly be released, as soon as they should meet him, which procured him a lashing down upon the forecastle, which, he resisting with all his force, caused him to be used with the more violence, so that he was tied down with so much severity that his flesh being sore and tender with the blowing up he died next day of a mortification they secured the prisoners with pinions and shackles but the ship was so much disabled in the engagement that they had once thought to set her on fire but this would have given them the trouble of taking the pirates wounded men on board themselves and that they were certain the royal fortune would wait for their consort's return they lay by her two days repairing her rigging and other damages and sent her into princes with the frenchmen and four of their own hands on the ninth in the evening the swallow gained the cape again and saw the royal fortune standing into the bay with the neptune captain hill of london a good presage of the next day's success for they did not doubt but the temptation of liquor and plunder they might find in this their new prize would make the pirates very confused and so it happened on the tenth in the morning the man-of-war bore away to round the cape roberts's crew discerning their masts over the land went down into the cabin to acquaint him of it he being then at breakfast with his new guest captain hill on a savoury dish of salamon and some of his own beer he took no notice of it and his men almost as little some saying she was a portuguese ship others a french slave ship but the major part swore it was the french ranger returning and were merrily debating for some time on the manner of reception, whether they should salute or not. But as the swallow approached nigher, things appeared plainer, and though they were stigmatized with the name of cowards who showed any apprehension of danger, yet some of them, now undeceived, declared it to Roberts, especially one Armstrong who had deserted from that ship and knew her well. Those Roberts swore at as cowards, who meant to dishearten the men, asking them if it were so whether they were afraid to fight or no, and hardly refrained from blows. What his own apprehensions were, till she hauled up her ports and hoisted their proper colours, is uncertain. But then, being perfectly convinced, he slipped his cable, got under sail, and ordered his men to arms, without any show of timidity, dropping a first-rate oath that it was a bite, but at the same time resolved, like a gallant rogue, to get clear or die. There was one Armstrong, as I just mentioned, a deserter from the Swallow, whom they inquired of concerning the trim and sailing of that ship. He told them she sailed best upon a wind, and therefore, if they designed to leave her, they should go before it. The danger was imminent, and time very short, to consult of means to extricate himself. His resolution in this strait was as follows, to pass close to the Swallow, with all her sails, and receive her broadside, before they returned to shot if disabled by this or that they could not depend on sailing than to run on shore at the point which is steep too, and every one to shift for himself among the negroes or sailing in these to board and blow up together for he saw that the greatest part of his men were drunk passively courageous unfit for service roberts himself made a gallant figure at the time of the engagement being dressed in a rich crimson damask waistcoat and breeches a red feather in his hat, a gold chain round his neck, and a diamond cross hanging to it, a sword in his hand, and two pair of pistols, hanging at the end of a silk sling, flung over his shoulder, according to the fashion of the pirates, and is said to have given his orders with boldness and spirit. Coming, according to what he had proposed, close to the man of war, received her fire, and then hoisted his black flag and returned it, shooting away from her, with all the sail he could pack, and had he took armstrong's advice to have gone before the wind he had probably escaped but keeping his tacks down either by the wind's shifting or ill steerage or both he was taken aback with his sails and the swallow came to a second time very nigh to him he had now perhaps finished the fight very desperately if death who took a swift passage in a grape-shot had not interposed and struck him directly on the throat he settled himself on the tackles of a gun which one stevenson from the helm observing ran to his assistance and not perceiving him wounded swore at him and bid him stand up and fight like a man but when he found his mistake and that his captain was certainly dead he gushed into tears and wished the next shot might be his lot they presently threw him overboard with his arms and ornaments on according to the repeated request he made in his lifetime roberts was a tall black man near forty years of age born at nui Bay nigh haverford west in pembrokeshire of good natural parts and personal bravery though he applied them to such wicked purposes as made them of no commendation frequently drinking damned to him who ever lived to wear a halter he was forced himself at first among this company out of the prince captain plam at Anamabah about three years before where he served as second mate and shed as he used to tell the frenchmen as many crocodile tears then as they did now, but time and good company had wore off. He could not plead want of employment, nor incapacity of getting his bread in an honest way, to favour so vile a change, nor was he so much a coward as to pretend it, but frankly owned, it was to get rid of the disagreeable superiority of some masters he was acquainted with, and the love of novelty and change, maritime peregrinations had accustomed him to in an honest service says he there is thin commons low wages and hard labour in this plenty and satiety pleasure and ease liberty and power and who would not balance creditor on this side when all the hazard that is run for it at worst is only a sour look or two at choking no a merry life and a short one shall be my motto thus he preached himself into an approbation of what he at first abhorred and being daily regaled with music drinking and the gaiety and diversions of his companions these depraved propensities were quickly edged and strengthened to the extinguishing of fear and conscience yet among all the vile and ignominious acts he had perpetrated he is said to have had an aversion towards forcing men into that service and had procured some their discharge notwithstanding so many made it their plea end of chapter 9 part 7